Timothy, I thank you, Lord, that uh, you haven't made us be part of this uh, bride, this thing you call the church, Lord, this living just organism. You haven't just told us just to do it without giving us parameters and guidelines and, and, um, and helpful understandings, Lord. So I just pray that we would just be encouraged as we read through this about leadership, about purity of heart, about becoming the people that you've called us to become. There's destiny and value and an amazing part of your nature that you're looking to unveil and have flow through us. And I pray that we would see that, Lord. Help us not only see what others can do and what they're good at and what they bring to the table. May we also be keenly aware of how you've made us and what you're calling us to, Lord. Guard us from the life of comparisons and guard us from the life and from the thoughts of inadequacies and disqualifications. We've got a river of life, as we sang, flowing through us. And it's very important that we understand that, realize that, and walk in it, Lord. So I just thank you for our time together. Just speak to our hearts, minister to us, and I pray that we would not turn a deaf ear and that we'd come back to whatever you might be stirring us in so that we wouldn't just be hearers, but also doers. In Jesus' name, amen. So 1 Timothy chapter 4, we kind of left off in the middle of the chapter last time we were together. So we're studying through this book, and um, the reason why we're doing it is because our church will be going through some transitions and changes, probably take another few months, um, because what we're going to do is we're going to um, really have our church take a more uh, biblical, a more early testament kind of formation, which I'm pretty excited about. Because what that means is people are going to be put in positions in different places to do what God has called them and made them and created them to do. So that's pretty exciting. Um, And with the church plant, there's like different stages you go through. And uh, the first stage is praying a whole heck of a lot with a group of people. Um, Then the the next stage is just, there's just a lot of packing and unpacking. There's just so much stuff. And you do that for a long time, and then you kind of get a group that just faithfully says, okay, I'm going to be a part of this, I want to be here. And then then from there, once you get a group, then you have to say, okay, like, what's the right way, what's a good way to handle, you know, this group that we have? And the answer to that is, well, it's probably a really good idea to have it look like the church that God said it should look like. It's probably a really good idea. And so um, what God did is he used Paul to write to Timothy, and he also wrote to Titus, and he said, hey, these are the things that I want to have um, in my bride, in the church. Here's what's important. Here's how it should look. So anytime you're talking about this stuff, we're talking about people and putting people in positions and having them be in certain places. And I hope what you've noticed so far is that it is important what we know and the type of knowledge that we have. That's definitely important. That matters. You certainly can't put somebody in charge of teaching Sunday school and they know nothing about the Bible. That, that doesn't help anyone. That's great that they have really good intentions that they want to serve and offer themselves, but if they don't really know anything about God's heart, His nature, and His character, how can they deliver that to children? 
And here's the, the real honest truth about that. I remember my pastor always saying, he said, hey, listen, if you can break down the Bible, if you can break down God's heart to fifth and sixth graders at their level so they can understand it, you will have no problem with adults. And man, is that true. It's so true. And so when it comes you know, to, to people, intentions are important. They matter, but they don't really get us um, to really influence, to lead, to equip. Intentions in and of themselves are just intentions, right? They don't really produce an end result unless we put some action with it. And so I hope what you've been seeing, as we've been noticing, is that it is important to know things, but what's really important, what's at a premium, is what's going on inside of a person. Exactly what is unfolding and happening inside of a person. And those are the things that Paul has been writing to Timothy, saying, hey, listen, when you're going to pick some leaders, and it's interesting, Timothy's a young guy. At this point, he's in his 30s. He's not married. He doesn't have a lot of ministry experience. And the things that Paul is telling me, saying, hey, listen, I need you to confront people that are saying things that they really shouldn't be saying and spreading in the church. I also need you to um, set up and put people in places so they can like, lead the right way. And he's telling them things to look for in people. He's saying, don't pick your favorites. Don't do that. Don't pick them based on how much they know. Don't pick the ones that can pray the longest. Don't pick the ones that have the most money. Don't pick the ones that have the most friends. He's saying, pick the ones that know my heart. Pick the ones that aren't just really good talking about it, but they also live it. Pick the ones that are consistent. Man, they're self-controlled. They have boundaries in their life. You know, pick ones that understand what the message of grace is and how to live in relationship with me. And they don't just know it, they model it. Pick the ones that aren't looking to self-promote themselves and tell everybody how much they know and whatever they can do. But pick ones that actually would rather serve and uphold somebody else than promote themselves. And, and these are the types of people that Paul is saying, Timothy, hey, listen, these are the leaders that you want to set up. Because at the end of the day, the bride, the church, is supposed to illustrate the bride of Christ. This submissive, um, powerful but yet pure organism that is just beautiful and it just reflects all of God's glory. And if you only have really awesome, talented, sort of entertaining people doing that, it really takes away from it. It takes away from it. So Paul's trying to establish all of these things and he's using Timothy um, to set this up. And we left off last week by talking about the issue of discipline that he tells Timothy, hey, be strong in discipline. And that's, of course, not everybody's favorite word, but it is a necessary part of the Christian life is discipline. Yeah. <laughs> well, I thought it was just God loves me, and, you know, I just, you know, we just love each other. It's just sort of, we all find our way to God, and it's just, you know, this 
loosey, there's like this loosey goosey sort of just, <laughs> just show up. No, it's just me and God were cool. Like in the you know the T-shirt, Jesus is my homeboy. You know, it's just, <laughs> this is all problematic things, right? This is not necessarily kingdom things. There's this issue of when somebody surrenders their life. So you got to kind of start there. Somebody has to say, Father, you've created me. This is your world. You sent your son to pay for my sins that I couldn't pay for. I live my life in surrender and in submission to what you have for me. Somebody's, you have, the whole relationship with God starts there. If somebody never comes to God and says that, then they're out of fellowship, they're out of relationship with God, they are not close to Him, they're not living in His favor. He loves them and He died for them, but they have not yet chosen to receive that, to acknowledge that. So many people haven't done that, sadly. But, but we're there to help them, right? We're there to help them. To make that easier for them. To not convince them of theology, but convince them of the heart of the Father. To not give them doctrinal points, but to give them the heartbeat of the Father that created them. So, when we approach God in that sort of submissive way to where He's God the Father, Lord of my life, Savior, that saved me, it's really tough to call Him my homeboy then. It's just, it's so difficult to do that. And I understand, like, once we receive Him, and we make that voluntary confession to Him, we should, at that point, yes, have some sort of confidence that I am a son, right, that ladies, they are a daughter, and they can just, they can approach their father. And, and He's not this sort of oppressive and far off God who has folded arms and he's like, maybe I'll throw you a bone. You know, it's not. We should be able to carry a sort of confidence that I'm close to to his heart. Like, he loves me. He cares about me. And the things that are happening intimately in my life matters. And he's got time for it. And there's actually a plan in place actually for all those things as well. And so... There's this, yes, a type of familiarity, but it's very, it's reverent, it's respectful. It's in the right place. Whereas I still have a comfort with God, but I still understand that that He's God and, and I'm not. And I'm not trying to get Him to do what I would like to see have happen. I'm actually trying to consult with Him to figure out what He has in store so I can fall in line with it. And that's very, very different, right, than the world that we live in and the way that they approach God and the way Christianity works. And so we're called to live in this. He's my Savior. He's my God. He's my King. I can certainly come before In fact, He welcomes a relationship with me. He wants that. But what happens so many times is our flesh it just wants to creep in and it's like, well, let's somehow get God to do this for us. You know, it's... And it doesn't, that doesn't work out well for us. Because the problem is, is that God has put ambitions, hopes, and dreams in your heart and in my heart. 
He's put ambitions there. He's put hopes. He's put dreams. I don't know what yours are. I'm sure that you have them somewhere. They're in your mind. And some of them might be for selfish reasons. Some of them might be for the right reasons. But really, the only way to figure out is to lay it before God and say, God, I have these hopes and I'd like to do these things. I want to go these places. I want to accomplish these things. I think you've put it there, but I'm not quite sure. I need you to make it clear to me. Some people never engage in that conversation. And, and, and that's, that's sad. Right? Because we want to bring those things. Because honestly, you know what I believe? I believe for a lot of things, actually God birthed them in our hearts. But when we're not in right relationship with Him, we, we can't really see those things that He's put in our hearts that He wants to bring out. We can't see it clearly. And we can't see the methods that He has. So even though He put them there, it's like kind of covered by our selfishness and by our wants and by our needs and we can't quite see clear how to bring this thing out. I don't even know why we're talking about it, but I guess it's somewhat important for us right now. It wasn't part of the message. That was just all freebie, okay? It's all freebie. Bonus material. Bonus material. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know why the Spirit brought that out. But here we go. Discipline. Verse 8. Training. Here's what he's telling Timothy. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. You look at any athlete, the, the Winter Olympics are going on right now. We've had it, we have it on in our house all the time. We are curling fans. We don't know all the rules, but we do watch. These guys... You know, and they're coming down. And USA got the gold. They beat, is that Sweden? Yeah, they beat Sweden, right? That was pretty awesome. Um, but I just, I love watching the Olympics, no matter the season. doesn't matter to me. I love to see competitors. I love to see athletes. You know what I really, I, 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 their performance is, is cool, and I like to see that. But I really love to see all their background, just the training. When they're by themselves at 5 a.m. on a Tuesday, you know, when they're working hard and they're sweating and they're crying and they're trying to battle their way through injury and they're not feeling good, you know, it's just, that's the part that's super intriguing to me because they never get to there unless they do that. And it so much mirrors like the life of a Christian. We never, God has given us this victory, this spirit of just overcoming that lives inside of us and we never actually get to access it and live in it it's, it's there for every believer and Christ follower. But not a lot of Christ followers know how to live in that and access that. And much of it comes through discipline and faithful perseverance and fighting the good fight of faith. And so many sons and daughters are winning because of the discipline, because of the fighting and they're choosing to stay engaged. And even though they don't feel good, they're still praying. Even though they don't even like that person, they're still trying to fight through that and trying to uphold their heart. And even though their spouse isn't responding the way they hope, they're still staying faithful to the call that they know is on their lives. And even though the parent is struggling with the kids because they thought they'd be in a different place, they're not going to be consumed by that, but they're going to try and stay the course and believe that they planted these seeds and God will bring them to fruition. They're trying to stand in faith. This is, this is what the winning, overcoming Christian life looks like. It's a grind. But it's a really good grind. 
And He is good. And that's why you need to sing those songs. And we need to say that. And it's important when that worship leader says, let's just declare that over every area of our lives right now. It's important to say that. With the things that frustrate us, with the things that, you know that whatever you battle with, whatever's there, and you just, you don't, you don't even know if God's going to change anything with it because it's been like that way for so long. And it's really important to say, God, you're good in this area. You, you just are. I, I know I'm struggling, but I know you're good here and I know you'll be faithful. So there is this issue of training, of discipline. And Paul's saying to Timothy, man, physical training, staying healthy, it's good and it's important. But if your time is kind of constrained, choose to invest in godliness. Get your priorities right. And I don't think God is saying choose one or the other. Be incredibly unhealthy so you live like 10 years on this planet and you're super unhealthy and you're always sick and, and just you're always bad physically. But, you know, you know all your Bible and all your verses. That, that just looks weird, right? That doesn't even... And the rest of the world is like, what is your deal? Like, I don't... Go to bed. <laughs> go to bed. Stop reading. Go to bed. So he's not saying choose one or the other. He's saying you've got to figure out a way like how to make that work. Because you're made in my image. I gave you this supernatural, amazing body. Don't trash that. Feed it with my truth and with my word and figure out like how that doesn't dominate but how the, the cultivating life on the inside, that's what dominates. And the truth and the reality is, once we cultivate the life on the inside, it actually starts to change us physically. And I just love how people are like, smoking's always a big one, it's a big one in our town. And I just love how people are like, they're just becoming changed from the inside, and they're just like, why, the heck, why am I doing this now? Like, I don't, this doesn't, it's not fitting with what's going on on the inside. Something's got to change you. And, and it's just like, and then it goes. And then it goes. And people are like, you know, eating for comfort. Eating to just change it because they just, they, they found a way to make themselves feel better and just numb the pain of what happened in life. And they get close to God's heart. It's got, God's like, no, 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 no. You come close to me. Like, I carry your burdens. You bring that frustration and pain to me. Confess it. Make yourself vulnerable to people that you trust. There's a new way we're trying to handle this. And we start to engage in that and go to those places. It's like, this isn't making sense. Why am I doing this right now? That's not part of the work he's doing. And, and then what he does, he starts, to, he starts to transform and renew our minds. And if we just stay in a place of, well, if I was a real Christian, I wouldn't be doing this. You start feeling really shameful and really bad about yourself. And you hide in a corner somewhere, and chances are you start stuffing your face full of everything. Or puffing everything you can find. And God's trying to draw us away from that stuff. And so I know Paul's main concern here is not how to find the balance of um, you know, physical working out and godliness, but he is saying that this is tied together in it, like they overlap. He is saying that you've got to nurture this life on the inside because it's going to bring healing and be perspective and bring understanding of what happens on the outside. And in our Instagram, Twitter, Facebook culture, where we're just like, see everything all the time. I'm always primarily concerned about how we look. It's very difficult. It's very, very difficult. But it's not impossible. Certainly not impossible. So godliness 
it matters for all things. And I think God, you know, definitely, we've got to come to that place where it's like, Lord, what does it look like where I take care of myself physically, but I also primarily invest in you first? How does that look? How does that look? And for some people, it's totally out of whack right now as I'm talking about it. And you probably feel super convicted. And the answer is not to feel more bad about yourself. That's not the holy noble thing. The holy noble thing is, Lord, it's not right. And maybe it hasn't been right for a while. I need you to help bring some healing to my life. I want to trust you first instead of the way that I've been doing it. The way that I choose to handle problems, the habits I've built up, they're not good. And the truth of the matter is, you won't get it done by yourself. You're also going to need another brother or sister in your life to confess to and make yourself vulnerable to. Are you hearing what I'm saying? This is like life-changing, incredibly powerful things, and you really need to pay attention to them. And they don't get done overnight, and you're going to find you're you're just going to lose a lot of... You're going to feel like you're losing, feel like you're losing on a lot of days. You just can't let that stop. You've got to keep on the good fight of faith and stay in it. And you won't get it done by yourself, and that's intentional. God didn't want us to win these battles by ourselves and be super people. We need to trust and invest and just, um, just make ourselves completely vulnerable to at least one or two other people in our lives to help us so we can help each other. All right. Verse 9. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. A.K.A. Timothy, don't mess this up. And for this we labor and strive. That we have, so I like when Paul does this. He's just putting it all out there. Boom, this is why we do what we do. That we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, and especially of those who believe. Paul's saying, here's where it's at. We put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, and especially of those who believe. Paul's saying, hey, listen, that's the deal. That's the deal. And I remember when we were, um, and maybe it'll change in the future, but kind of our, our church verse, at least right now, it's, it's in Isaiah, and it's talking about um, how the Lord wants our hearts. And the idea is, he wants, co- he wants intimacy, He wants connection, He wants relationship, not just like routine and ritual. And I remember one of the other verses I was, that I was really praying about, and just like, Lord, I don't know, I so love this other verse, and this could so be a verse for a church. This could be an absolute perfect verse for a church. We trust in the living God, and that's where our hope lies. And it's the hope for all mankind. I mean, how else can you say it? That's the deal right there, very simply and profoundly put. And I don't think at the very end here it says, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. Um, God is not saying there's some sort of universalism that happens. He's a Savior of all men, and especially of those who believe. Jesus Christ is the Savior of all that has died. But not all people choose to accept Him as Savior. So yes, He's Savior. He died for all people, every all time, all ages, every person. But, just because that's who He is, that doesn't mean each person individually then accepts Him that well. A lot of people like to just tolerate Him as like a good man, a famous prophet, um, 
all kinds of other ways. But the reality is, is that he is God in the flesh. Truth is a person, is Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. And that's what Jesus said about himself, that the God, God the Father told him to say. So yes, he's the Savior, but man, especially those who have received him, they've acknowledged him, they're living in that. He's absolutely, truly their Savior. So he's gone. Verse 11, command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech and life and love and faith and impurity. That's a great verse for young people right there, right? And old people, by the way. The age thing like, is not a disqualifier because of age. Neither is skin color. Right? Neither is income level. These are not disqualifiers immediately in and of themselves. <clears throat> That's not saying that every 30-year-old could like, lead a church and appoint leaders and do it the right way. He's not saying that either. And he's not saying that every 60-year-old can do that either. But what he is saying, he's saying, hey, listen, set an example. You can preach and say whatever you want, but people are going to pay attention to the example and to the model that you set. So what we do matters a whole heck of a lot. So I don't really, I'm not really drawn to people that can pray a real long time, that have lots of Bible knowledge, that just seem really impressive on the outside. That could be all well and good, but I'm really curious as far as how they treat their wife. I'm really curious how they treat their kids. I'm really curious if they have a firm understanding of what God is trying to build in their family and they're trying to come in alignment with that. Do they even have a heart like for their neighbor? Do they understand what's happening in their family? Right? There's a whole other dynamic. There's a total shift. And Paul's telling Timothy, hey, listen, focus on those parts. If you're young, you're young. Like, it doesn't matter. I remember when I was, like, early 20s, There's a little church um, up by where we used to live, and they had maybe like, 10 or 12 people or something like that. And I, like I said, I was early 20s, and um, uh, my pastor's like, hey, listen, you know, there's a guy pretty close to you, next town over. Their church is really struggling, and they're trying to find a new pastor, and, you know, we've been kind of been talking about you. You know, why don't you go take a look and check it out and see what happens? I said, okay. I think, did we go, Julie? She doesn't remember. She's like, I don't know what I'm talking about. So I think Julie and I went. We went there. It was, it was small, you know, and it kind of had a weird vibe. It just, I don't know, it, was, it felt kind of strange. And then, you know, I met the pastor. He seemed nice enough. And I met him in some other settings. Didn't quite feel right. So, but nonetheless, I was really praying through it, you know, taking it seriously, seeing what the Lord had and all that stuff. And um, that particular pastor... He didn't like the idea at all. And really his primary concern was that I was really young. And so um, I remember my pastor, he said, hey, listen, he said, he said, he's just, he doesn't want to do it. He said, he doesn't feel comfortable with you. He said, you're just, you're just too young. Um, and he said, you know, he said, that's not what I'm saying. That's not how I feel. He said, maybe you're too young. Maybe you're not. He said, but that's just the age thing. That's just, we're just done there with that. And so, and that's fine. You know, he made that choice, but what Paul is telling Timothy, saying, hey, listen, the age is not like you just reach some age and then you have it. 
And until you get to that age, then you don't have it. Right? There's no magic number. And like we mentioned before, 50 years old was kind of the age when Jewish uh, men became elders at churches. He definitely wasn't 50, right? A little more than halfway there. But he's saying, hey, listen, don't get bogged down in that. Be excellent in the things um, that God has called you to. Model it really well. What kinds of things? Speech. Well, there's a big one right there. Young people that like, know how to speak well. Every other word isn't a curse word. They're not making fun of other people. They're not gossiping about others. They're not just trying to formulate situations so that way they can be seen and heard. They're not attention-driven and attention-starved. It's really difficult to find young people like that. Right? It's very difficult. In life... Okay, there's a real general one, right? Set an example in life, Timothy. Ah, okay... What does that mean? Probably something like in the way that he just handles life. You know, you can become overwhelmed by life or you can figure out some healthy, helpful ways to go about life. Life does involve some schedule. Scheduling does involve some planning. It does involve setting priorities. Because if you don't set your schedule, you're planning your priorities, the rest of life will. And you'll be at the victim at whatever happens at the latest moment. And that's not a good and helpful way to go through life. A good and helpful way to go through life is, where does God have us right now? What is the season that we're in? And that needs, what is God doing? Like, where's the Spirit moving? And we're supposed to shape what happens in our calendar and our lives kind of around that. Instead of, yeah, I think I can do this. Yeah, I think I can do that. And just start throwing things in there. There's a certain way to go through life that honors him, that gives his voice a prominent place. And God is calling us to live like that. And mature Christians, they do that. Immature ones, they're learning how to do it. In love. Show an example in love. What does that look like? That looks like having healthy boundaries. Got a young guy here. He's going to talk and be around a lot of people, be a pastor of a church, you've got to have boundaries in your life. You can't say yes to everybody. Uh, you can't just respond to people that you like. Part of loving somebody is telling them the truth, even if it hurts. And you, and you really exhaust yourself to try and do it, not in a rude way, in a way that's dishonoring. You try and do it in a way that really honors them and also gives the Father's heart. Some love also means you have to like, be really strict on some things. Paul said some strict things in the church. You know, he said, listen, when people come to church, if there's people there that they're sleeping with each other, they're dating, they're carrying through life just any way that they want, and they're positions of influence, he's saying, hey, listen, you can't do that. In fact, Paul uses such strong language, he says, listen, don't even have a meal with them. Because they think that they could be in relationship with their Savior, submitted way, but just do whatever they want. And in 1 Corinthians, he writes to that church, he tells them, hey, listen, those type of people are a problem. Because they're completely hijacking the submitted relationship with Christ where he's Lord and Savior. And they're taking advantage of this thing called grace. 
well, God's grace covers my life and I can do whatever I want, I guess. He's like, no, that's not what that means. So in love means that you have to love other people, but not at the cost of the call that God is trying to build. That's very difficult to figure out. That takes a lot of fasting and prayer and tears and mistakes. It's not easy to figure that out. And Paul's saying, hey, listen, Timothy, like, figure out how to set a model on that. Be an example there. So when people need to know how to love well, they can look at you. In faith and purity. And those are just significant things, right, that he's just calling them to. Right, so for young people, we got most of our youth in here right now. I mean, listen, the way to excel in the Christian life is to go after those specific areas. How am I talking? What do I say? These things matter. Right, my level of purity. What does it look like? Do I think much about it? Is it something that like, I concern myself with or it's like, nah, I'll figure it out when I get there? How do I love others? How do I handle life? Like, these are... This is an adult and very mature mindset. And, you know, some kids can just say, well, listen, I'm not there yet. Yeah, okay, that's true. I'm not Timothy. I'm not leading in church. Yes, that's true. But I can also tell you that God is bringing all of us to that place where we're leading by example in those areas well, whether we're a pastor in church or we're not. So you... Being a young person, they can put it off for, at 14, 15, want to deal with it and they get to 25 or something, go ahead. But that comes with a cost. Talk to any older person around here and they'll tell you all about it. And then you'll probably zone out when they tell you. But I'm just saying. The quicker that... And that's one of the prayers. You know, We were talking about this stuff at um, Men's Breakfast yesterday. You know, it's just different things that we feel like the Lord has put on our hearts about our families and different things. And one of the things that I feel like Lord has put on my heart about our family is just our kids, you know, that hopefully that our boys they'll want to respond to God's voice at an early age. That for whatever reason, they're going to hear this and they're going to hear that, hey, listen, Timothy, set an example. Um, uh, You know, in purity, uh, set an example with what you say, set an example in faith and in love. I hope my kids are like, they take ownership and they say, yeah, let's get on board with that. How do I start? Mom and dad, what do I got to do? What does that look like? How'd you do it? You know, like, I want them to receive that. It's such an important thing. Such an important thing. And, you know, and we'll continue to pray that over our youth that are here. And we'll continue to minister that way. It's just needed. It's just needed. Because, you know, get older. And I'm not the oldest one in here. And we're not trying to figure out who is. But... These are life-changing things that sets us free in so many ways. And to try and invest in it early on and not just be like, oh, that was for Timothy, not for me. Like, I don't have to, you know. It's the wrong way to read it. It's the wrong way to read it. So let's keep going. So be an example. Verse 13, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. That's why we do that in church. That's what he told them to do. To preaching and to teaching. There's a difference. You publicly read scripture. That's why we do that in church. Sometimes people want to ask, why do we even read the Bible in church? Do you have to? Yeah, it's probably a good idea. (laughs) It's kind of essential to everything that's happening. You want to be grown up in the Word. Um, So that's very important. 
And it doesn't have to, and it shouldn't be like an add-in thing. You know, like, I want to say everything I want to say, and then I'll just throw a verse in there. That's not the way to go about it either. It should be that the Lord's building something there that's, that's actually rooted from the Word, and, and then the Word is centrally focused, but the Holy Spirit gives insights and takes it in different directions so that it brings fresh revelation. Does that make sense? Because honestly, like, you don't have to sit here right now. You could, if you wanted to, devote your Sunday morning from 11.30 to, you know, 1 o'clock and just say, hey, listen, I'm just going to read the best commentary I can find in First Timothy. I'm going to read everything they have to say. And there you go. You could do that. You'd probably gain some really good information. The, the thing that's different, though, is that he said to preaching and to teaching. See, the difference is preaching, what that does, that brings a proclaiming. Preaching means that there's some kind of message that the Holy Spirit has birthed within whoever's going to share. And you're just, you're just proclaiming that from a strong place of just conviction. Not from a place of, i got to have something to say today. When a leader, when a pastor feels that way, they're in a really bad place. And then what they can do, they could just read this and make it pretty academic but you, we're missing the element of what the Holy Spirit is birthing and what he wants to say. So there's a, very, there's a fine difference between right, preaching and then when it comes to teaching. Preaching is this proclamation that's coming from being with the Holy Spirit that he places on a leader as a person's heart and they, they just bring that out of conviction because they've been soaking in the Spirit all week or all two weeks or however long it's been. Teaching is more of, it's a little more academic. It's a, it's a little bit more like, like a school setting. I'm just, I'm going to deliver information. And then, hopefully, you can retain it. And, yeah, it's kind of just based more on just gathering information. And learning more, because knowledge is important. But if it just stops there, it's absence of a heart and relationship of love. Because the whole idea is to actually guess. Or not guess. The whole idea, there's a lot of guessing sometimes. But the idea is to get the information so that it leads to transformation. If we just get a bunch of information and we're not transformed, if I'm the same person I was a year and a half ago, two years ago, I have problems. I have real issues. Especially if I'm thinking I'm a really different person. Then I got really big issues. I'm not a different person because I got more knowledge. I'm a different person because I started to actually put into place some of that knowledge and then the Holy Spirit like molded my actions and showed me how this thing works and how it fits. Does it make sense? So I didn't say, don't read your Bibles, don't learn anything. I didn't say that. I said, let's soak it, let's absorb it. Maybe after today you do want to go online and find the best commentary and be like, I'll see how this lines up with what Pastor Jared said. I would encourage you to do that, by the way. That'd be a healthy and good thing for all of us. But again, the idea is like transformation, transformation, establishing the word in our hearts. So, we, so like it says in Psalm 119, I've hidden his word in my heart so I wouldn't sin against him. Hiding the word in our hearts like creates a sort of buffer, a sort of protection, a sort of covering. 
And it filters through and kicks out all the nonsense so we can hold on to the truth. It's really important. And we need it. So he says, devote yourself to scripture reading, preaching, teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given. And that's not necessarily true. It was more understood. Right? In the Greek, um, there's this idea that there was a revelatory understanding. Do not neglect your gift, which was given, really understood, through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. So Timothy just didn't go out and just start shaking and moving and doing stuff. This was a process of multiple people involved that recognized the call in his life. They brought him in front of the church. It had been talked about for a while. Brought him from the church. All the elders that led the church, they put their hands on him. They prayed for him. Kind of a commissioning. And while that happened, says that the Holy Spirit prophetically gave words over his life of who he is and what he's going to do and how he's going to do it. That's a super healthy model. And you better believe we're headed in that direction. So when we institute deacons and deaconesses, we will pray over them. The elders will, the leaders, right? When we welcome in a new elder, elders and leaders, they'll be in front of the church and we will pray over them. It'll be multiple people involved and everybody will see, right? It'll be very public. It'll be very much God-centered. And who knows what the Lord might speak over the prayers over some people when it happens. I look forward to that. Because Paul tells Timothy, hey, listen, on those days when you don't feel real good and you feel really disqualified and people aren't cooperating and it's not going the way you thought it would, you know what he tells Timothy? How to encourage himself? Go back to those prophetic words that were spoken over you. Those weren't just nice things that people said. They were words from heaven that he delivered through those people. Pay attention to them. It's important that we do stuff like that. And so if our theology doesn't really have a grid for prophetic words in our lives, it makes it difficult to hold on to those things. It makes it difficult. Verse 15, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Paul is saying, hey, listen, don't get this messed up, man. Stay, pay attention to what's happening on the inside. Keep a close eye on that. Be diligent in this stuff. It really matters. And what's going to happen is, people will notice. They'll notice that you're different, that you're changing, that stuff is happening in your life. And that's a good thing. Because hopefully people are going to notice that you weren't the same Timothy from two years ago. You're not talking the same way. You're not treating people the same in all positive and good ways. Right? You're growing. You're doing better with forgiveness. You're being less offended with people. Your faith level seems to increase. Like the way you're praying and what you're asking God for, you weren't asking God for that a couple years ago. Right? We should be changing. And it'll be noticeable. That's a good and healthy thing. It's also a humbling thing. Because we don't have it all figured out today, nor should we think that we do. And so he says, if you stay consistent on this stuff, everybody's going to notice it'll be a good thing. And what that's going to do is that's going to help everybody else out. 
that we're all growing together in this thing. All right, 1247. We're going to close up here. Next week, we're going to talk about how he tells Timothy, hey, listen, here's how you handle specific people at church, particular groups of people. And that's going to be important because he's going to say, listen, here's how you talk to the elders, the leader of the church. Here's how you talk to widows, which that's a common theme in the Bible that comes up a whole bunch. And uh, women in the church as well. So he's going to give him some advice on that. Here's what I hope you got out of today. I hope what you got out of today was that training is a necessary part. Figure out ways to have disciplines in your life to bring the important priorities that need to happen. I don't know what that looks like in your schedule. But you got to figure it out. Us as believers, we got to figure out, hey, listen, where's the disciplines that I need in my life so I can bring the things that I need to make me better? Got to figure that stuff out. It's worthwhile. And if you got any questions about that, ask a trusted friend. Do you see this need or do you see how this continues to get repeated? Like, ask somebody. Like, listen, in my life, I know that I need these things. God has made this clear. Say this to a friend. I know I need these things in my life. I'm having a hard time trying to figure that out. Can you help me? I'm sure they have an opinion or two on it. (laughs) We always got something to say for somebody else. Like, we just do. But ask somebody, because it's really important. Um, And I hope the other thing that hopefully you take away from it is that um, setting examples and being models. Setting examples and being models. The power of the modeling and being an example of who God is and what His nature is like goes far beyond any sermon, far beyond any worship song. It's the most impactful in this world that we live in. It's just being an example. And here's what I got to tell you. You can't muster it up. I got to be an example today. (laughs) Do you know what you just did when you said that? You put so much pressure on yourself to perform a thing that you're not ready to do. Hey, guess what? Your failure is about 10 minutes away. (laughs) You can only be an example and reflect and represent what you have already been in the presence of. What you've been filling up. What you've been taking a risk in. What you've been investing yourself into. So I hope those two themes settle in on you. Think about it more. Pray about it more. It's really important stuff. It's just not for Timothy. It's for all of us, you know. It's for all of us. And God wouldn't call us to these things if he didn't have a way to equip us and empower us to do it. He's not going to say, hey, listen, go do this. And he's like, go figure it out. It's not the way it works. He says, hey, listen, go do this. I'm right there by you. By your side, take some steps of faith, and I'll come in and I'll do the heavy lifting for you. It's a beautiful thing, it really is. We're going to take communion together. If I can get a couple people to pass this stuff out, it would be super helpful. Kayla's on it, Eric's on it. <clears throat> so we'll take communion together. It's, it's a strong thing to take communion together. It's very um, symbolic. 
It's also a strong element of faith. What it means when we take communion together, it is saying that we take part in agreement with what Christ has done. It's like we're saying like with our actions, yes, Jesus, you're my Lord and my Savior. I am in agreement with this. I'm in agreement with you and with your plan and what you're doing. And the way that I'm going to show that is by taking part in communion. So if you can't say that, I wouldn't take communion. Don't do it. Don't take communion if you feel like you're not in relationship with God. You can say, Lord, you're the Savior of my life. I'm following you the best I possibly can and I want you to reign supreme. You don't take communion. So don't do it. It won't help you. Otherwise, it just gets boiled down to just like a ritual and routine. And that is not at all what Jesus had in mind when he actually told them to take communion right before he went to the cross. So it's an important thing. Um, It's a big deal. And we want to do it the right way. It's important. And if you don't take it, nobody's going to judge you. I promise you that. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for us being the ultimate example and model. The ultimate. You perfectly, without fault, followed everything that the Lord had for you. And sometimes if we think about that long enough, that just becomes really overwhelming. And if we let our flesh too much in there, it's going to make us want to quit. Because how could we ever measure up? But we speak against that just fleshly way of thinking. We embrace the heart of a father that's calling us into a life of vulnerability and of trust and of repentance. And that's what you're looking for. And I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you for that. And Jesus, we just praise you and worship you for your faithfulness despite all the things that happened around your life. Nothing was going to deter you or take you off course from what the Father had put on your heart. And I thank you that you're building that in us even if we can't see it. I thank you that's what you're building. So it says, While they're eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it, gave it to his disciples saying, Take and eat. This is my body, and so we take and we eat.
And God, I just pray, Lord, we also talked a lot about food, Father. I pray, Lord, that you give us, and especially give those that have not handled food the right way for a long time, that you give a clarity on how to see food, how to handle it, Lord. I pray, Father, that they wouldn't feel shame and tons of condemnation about it, but you give them a clear picture of what you're calling them to and how you're going to help them get there, Lord. And I pray, Father, that they wouldn't just want to quit because it's been one way for so long. I pray that your goodness and that your sovereignty and that your perfect heart of love would encourage them to engage with you and take first steps. And may we realize that like Jesus said, we don't live on bread and food alone, but also on your word, Lord, that comes to us. And I pray that we treat life that way, Lord. So give us the strength, Lord. Those of us that have a hard time reading, some people can't even process information while they read, Father, help us to figure out ways how to get your word inside of us. So then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So we take and we drink. And I just thank you for your blood, Lord, that covers us. You look at Jared. You look at any follower of you. You just see your son's blood that covers us. Washes us white as snow, Lord. So I just thank you for it. We're never going to really honestly fully understand the depth of that and the amazing life-changing truth of that. But we just thank you for it, Lord. And when we pass from this world to the next, we're going to realize in an instant the magnificent glory behind your blood covering our lives. So we just thank you for that ahead of time, Lord. So let's stand. We're going to close in some prayer. Ask the Lord to bless this week coming up. All right, let me bless you guys. So may the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face shine upon you. May he give you peace. And may you just set an example that's from heaven and not even from experiences that you know. May you set an example that you don't even know how it got into your life, but because the Holy Spirit put it there. So Father, bless us this week, Lord. Show us how to love well how to arrange our lives in ways that make sense and bring the kingdom. Show us where we should believe you, even though maybe we haven't seen it yet. So Father, we just thank you for this time this morning, Lord. We love you, we thank you, we bless you, we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Hey!